0: chapter 5 as well. If you could look at the world today and you could sum it up, you know, some people say it's if you could look at some years it seems like a bull in a china shop. It just seems like it's very bullish. Sometimes you feel it's like a line, like the world is just kind of like going to pounce you at any minute. If anything, I would say this past two years has been the 2020 and 2021 so far, the world is nothing but a bunch of lemmings. And they're running full full scale toward an irreversible cliff. They're just running full throttle as lemmings towards an irreversible cliff. When they go over this cliff, there's no coming back from it. You can't give up as many freedoms as we've willfully surrendered and become obedient as sheeple as lemmings, just following the leader, doing whatever they want, and expect a different end by the end of the year. You can't do it. The freedoms of churches, that churches would willfully shut down, the government requested it, and they did it. 30 years ago, 40, 50, let Lester Olof come back from the dead. Let Lester Olof find out that there's that there's Baptist churches obeying what the government says about having church. He would have a fit. Let my grandma come back from the grave. And, well, she would have a fit because she was an angry person. But but um, we live in a day and age where people are just following the leaders without even knowing why they follow. Let, let the world tell you that we're going to, you know, like 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, say that we have the president, the type of president that we have today. Or the type of president we just had. And you would they would have thought you are crazy. The president's already signed in 43 executive orders. Hmm. That's dictator level. That's more executive orders than Trump did in his first year, his second year. I think I saw I think I think a stat, I think it was between the first 18 months of office, he only signed in like 40, 43 executive orders. It's less than that. I mean, There's a crazy amount of executive orders that are being put out. And he's bypassing Congress. He's bypassing Senate to make his laws or make his deeds, his his desire known. And yet everybody just kind of follows along with it. Campaign promises that he said in the campaign trail that no, we're not gonna get off the pipelines. No, we're not gonna shut down fracking. No, we're not gonna shut down natural oil. And he's doing just that. And everybody just kind of follows along. There's no question to it. Everybody just wants to follow along blindly. They don't want to make decisions. They don't they want to make decisions. They don't want to take responsibility. They don't want responsibility. They want someone to think for them. We went from Generation X, where we want to make our own decisions. We want to think for ourselves, which they didn't. Now, it's we want the government to think for us. We trust it for food. We trust it for stimulus. We're trusting it for everything there is, and it's nothing but lemmings. We have our work cut out for us like ever before, because when we go and actually tell somebody that the authority that they have to answer to is not in the White House, but it's, it's God, and it's God on this throne, and if we find what he wants from, his, from the Word of God, we find that people don't want God at all in their minds, in their hearts, their lives. So then how do we as Christians minister in a crooked and perverse generation? That's a good question. How do we minister in a, in a crooked and perverse generation? We, said, we saw in Philippians, it says we shine as lights in a in a in a perverse and crooked generation. In Matthew chapter 5, and seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when and, and when he was set, his disciples came unto, came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying. and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which, which were before you. Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt hath lost his savor, his wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trod under the foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. The city that is set on the hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. How do you minister in a crooked and perverse generation? Let me give you some symptoms. We can go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We can go to Romans chapter 1. And we can see some of the symptoms of the wicked world we're living in. But I think we can find it right here in Matthew chapter 5. Christ starts each of these verses with the word blessed. This past week it was kind of cute, cute father moment. Cute daughter moment, I should say. Paisley <laughs> came up and she says, How do you spell blessed? I said, B-L-E-S-S-E-D. She goes, No, blessed. <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean? She goes, blessed. Like, blessed be the name of God. Okay, well, it's blessed. He goes, No, blessed. I'm like, okay, spell you know, is this you know the way we articulate words is not so we had a good time with that. It was kind of cute, but in Matthew chapter number five, th- there's things that God points out as being blessed or blessed, and there's blessed, blessed, and then there's things that are not blessed, that are not content, that are not good. Look at the look at the antonyms of each of these things that God points out that the person who does these things are blessed, and you find what this world is. Remember, everything is by contrast. There's good and there's bad in the world, right? There's righteous, there's unrighteous. Let's look at these things quickly here. Number one, we find in verse number three, "Blessed are the poor in spirit." Well, what does it mean to be opposite of being blessed and those who are not poor in spirit? What are they? They're proud. They're proud. Look at the pride that's coming from even believers today. Such arrogancy and proud. They're proud. They can't take correction. They're never wrong. They can never apologize. Have you met somebody that's never wrong? That never apologizes? They're, they're always they're always perfect. There's never a way to be corrected, and you you go to correct them, and it's like no, no I wasn't really doing such and such. I was doing such and such. <laughs> no, you did wrong. Just admit that you were wrong. It's 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 okay to admit that you're wrong. It's not okay to be wrong. It's okay to admit that you're wrong, and then let and then change your course of action. But being proud, doesn't that spell out the world today? We have people who are openly touting their sin. Their wickedness, their vile lifestyle before God, and they're proud of it. Gay pride. But when it comes to racism, it's wrong. The proud boys. It's wrong to be proud of your race, but it's they keep be proud of your sexual orientation. No, the Bible says pride is pride is, is something that God hates. God hates every false way, God hates pride and arrogancy. So it's not a matter of what you're proud of. You ought not be proud. Right? You ought not be proud. So blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those people who are proud. Number two, look at verse number four. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. What about those people who are unaffected by their sin? There's people today who are unaffected by their sin. They have no consequence. They have no conscience. They don't care. They tout their sin in front of you. Look at the news media cycle. This past week, I saw a news article, I think it was on Friday, I saw this news article. A girl, I think she was eight, got kicked out of a school because she told another girl that she had a crush on her at a Christian school. And the school board came and had sat down with the parent, the parent was like, yeah, so I don't have a problem with it. You don't have a problem that your girl has a crush on another girl. She said, no. And then... They kicked her out of it. they expelled the kid they expelled the kid from school and her first response was let me call the news media. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, I wanted to hear their side of the story. I would love to hear I would love to see what, what the other shoe drop was. You know what I mean? Like, because at the end of the day, okay, being kicked out of school for that, kids are kids, and yeah, they're still being raised, kids make mistakes. And I sure I'm glad that we don't have to judge every child by one mistake they make. Right? Because God doesn't judge us by every mistake we make. Right? You know, our life is judged by our life. Right? And don't get me wrong, we still face consequences of our sins. Don't get me wrong, okay? But, unaffected by sin. No consequence. No conscience. Let's, let's, Let's throw out the reputation. Let's destroy this Christian or religious school for standing by their principles. Let's vilify them. Hey, let's vilify the church that gets blown up, right. the building that's getting blown up by a bunch of—we don't know who to set the bombs off, but we kind of do, you know. But hey, they're unaffected by their sin, and yet the people who are suffering, or who are made the vic- the people who are made the villains—are the victims. We talked about this past Wednesday at church about governmental censorship, and that, I think that was a really cool outline. I like that sermon; it's a pretty cool story by but being unaffected by their sin. There's no conscience. There's no anything. The Bible says, blessed are they that mourn. Well, what are you mourning over? What is it you're sorrowful over? More Christians spend time crying over Robin Williams dying than for millions of babies being aborted. What are you mourning over? What are you pining over? What are you sorrowful over? The Bible says, I'll be sorry for my sin. Number three. Look what it says in verse number 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Here it speaks about those who are impulsive and inflexible. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, it talks about the wickedness of those who are inflexible and unmerc- the merciless. Here in verse 5, it says, blessed are the meek, those people who are not swift to action. They take time and they think about the decision. They think about the recourse of their actions. They think about it. They put their power under control. That's what meekness means. It means power under control. It's a fruit of the spirit we find in Galatians chapter five, the fruit of the spirit: love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness. Meekness. It's having your power under control, under some, under authority. Well, who is your? What is your power under? It ought to be under governed by the spirit of God, and being meek instead of lashing out and having to have the first mic drop or the last mic drop, and the last. Powerful statement is to look at the person, control your faculties, and not be so quick to action to where we're impulsive. To where we say something and later on we're like, man, I wish I didn't said that. Today, in total kidding around, last week, last Sunday, I preached about corrupt communication. How many of you were here last week and heard that sermon? Okay? And I made a decision a couple weeks back. I, I'm working in myself and working hard not to be rash to speech, not to have corrupt communication. I'm sarcastic by default. My native tongue is sarcasm. Today, I made a joke, and Aaron was joking, and Aaron said something. Aaron said, "Um, I'm trying not to be obnoxious. And without thought, just out of quick wit, and he knows I'm joking with him, but still, I made an insult. I made a joke out of an insult, and it was just like afterwards, I was like, I... I just preached this last week. I just went to the Word of God and proved, proved myself wrong as being sarcastic to that point. And I wanted, I had to fix it. And I was like, I'm wrong. And I'm not saying because I'm some super some super spiritual giant. I'm not. But I'm looking at it, I'm like, that's something wrong with me. Where I don't have, I, I lacked meekness in that moment where I lacked, I was implacable. I was so quick to speech that I didn't think of my actions. That's how people get offended. Because you may say something and you don't mean what you're saying and you can offend someone. You know what I mean? We can offend someone so quickly and easy, but to be impulsive, just to let it fly and then to think about it afterwards. Look at the next verse. Verse number six. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled. Well, he's speaking to those who are opposite, you know, in constant dressed opposites, with a dress con, uh, contrast. Think about the people who are satisfied with the fleshly desires rather than having their spiritual needs. When you have your spiritual needs, you hunger and thirst after righteousness. You shall be filled. But those that are just Satisfied with fleshly desires? Look at the world today. Look at I me. Mean, look at the past year with coronavirus. Look how much weight Americans have gained this past year with coronavirus. They openly brag about it. Yeah, I got a corona belly. I mean, seriously, they talk about how they didn't get out doing exercise, sitting. Look, I'm talking about weight. Y'all can say, man, right here, just pretend it's me preaching it myself, okay? But they gained so much weight. Americans have gained so much weight. How much gluttony, how much alcohol has been consumed? How much cigarettes have been consumed? Think about how much unnecessary food has been consumed. And we took that as being necessary. Think about it. Food banks are at an all-time low right now because they don't have enough food coming in. I remember a couple years ago, my wife and I were emptying out some apartment buildings, helping my in-laws move out some apartment buildings, and we went to this one house, and there was cupboard full of beans and rice and canned vegetables. It was crazy, wasn't it? It was astronomically crazy, and they got it all from this food pantry. And we literally had to take food and literally set it outside because we couldn't, we couldn't trust the people living and how they kept their house. Literally, pounds and thousands, of hundred, hundreds if not thousands of pounds of food was put out by the dumpster to be thrown away. And they get it from the food pantries, just without restraint. They have fleshly desires. But what about those who have spiritual needs? When you put hunger and thirst to righteousness, and not the things of the world, not for carnal cravings, but just the things of God, the Bible says you'll be blessed. The Bible says, Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. For they shall be filled. But look at the world today around us. They're satisfied with fleshly desires. Doesn't that the spell the world today? Look at this one. Bloodthirsty. Look at verse number, uh, verse number uh, 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Those people who are vile, impure, filthy. James chapter 1 tells us to purify our heart and our hands. Is you know cleanse your hands, purify your heart. You are double-minded. I might have missed, mixed the metaphors there, but it's to purify and cleanse our ways. We come to God. We say we're walking with God, but inwardly our hands are our our heart is impure. Our hands are filthy. Are the working? We're working mischiefs, vile, impure, filthy, and yet we think we're okay. God says, "Blessed is the pure in heart." Or sorry, blessed are the merciful. Excuse me. And having you know having mercy being pure in heart, being bloodthirsty, not being peacemakers. We're so quick to throw somebody out. We're so quick to call someone reprobate. We're so quick to find the, the nearest fault. I I, um, I was talking to, like, this guy called me this past week or ambassador me this past week, and he showed me where he went off and where he went off on someone that I know. And I was like, he says, what well, do, do you think I was right or wrong about that? I said, look, and I'm not the Holy Spirit of God. I said, let me ask you a question. Did you ask God? Did you ask the Holy Spirit? If did you talk to God and ask Him if this is wise to say, in that moment? He goes, No, I didn't. I'm like, Okay. Well, did you pray about it afterwards? Instead of asking me, did you ask the Lord was this right to say? He goes, No, I didn't. But if I knew you're gonna be so holier than now, I wanted to have asked you either. <laughs> and this was a preacher. And I was like, Regardless of what one person says about you, at the end of the day if you see a brother or sister in Christ suffering and being persecuted, we're supposed to pray for them. Especially to those who have a household of faith. I don't rejoice that Bruce Mejia's building got burnt up or blown up. And he's spoken vile things against me. He's come out and he's almost as bad as Aaron Thompson and, and, uh, and Jonathan Shelley and coming out against me. But his building got blown up, his building got bombed. I don't sit there rejoicing that. Man, they caused the work of God to stop just for a little bit, even if they changed locations. How am I supposed to rejoice in that? But when we're bloodthirsty, we're not peacemakers. When we're bloodthirsty, we're always looking out to to find a way to stick the knife into someone, or to twist the knife, or to, to burn him at the stake. That's not peacemakers. That's not having, that's being bloodthirsty. That's the direct opposite of being a peacemaker. There's people who persecute. Now, if there's people who are being persecuted, there's people who are persecuting. That's deep, I know. That's like, whoa, say that again, run that back by me. But persecutors, those people are not lovers of good men. People who are persecuted are not lovers of good men. They are revilers, they're railers, they're intolerant of righteousness, salt, or light. And this is exactly what God tells his disciples to be in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, is to be salt, to be light, to be righteous, and yet these people are intolerant. the The society that we have around us is intolerant of righteousness, salt, or light. It's intolerant. Go out, go out there and get a handful of salt. Right? Get don't get a handful. Just get, go get a salt shaker and put on your hand and lick it. You won't feel every bit of salt. You won't feel it's it's it's, it's impossible. You will not feel every grain of salt that you lick. But the salt that you do lick that hits your tongue first, that's most impressionable. You know, sometimes there's a pepper green that's a little bit more, you know, pepper. It's a little bit more powerful than the other pepper, like black pepper. You know, you can put black pepper all day long. But you get that one bit of black pepper and it's like, whoa, that thing sets you off. That one really got you going, right? That one's like, whoa, that's pretty bad. That's the same thing with righteousness. Same thing with righteousness. You may not be the person who's righteous. Although you may be righteous, you may not be the direct bit of righteousness that some people experience. Doesn't mean you're not supposed to be righteous. Doesn't mean your effect in the world is any less. We're still supposed to be righteous. We're still supposed to be salt. We're still still supposed to be light. Even if your light doesn't shine, doesn't get shown on a roach, your your light still shines. Right, and. Instead of shining light on the roaches, shine a light for people who are trying to walk. See the difference? If we take a light, we're just always constantly trying to find a roach or trying to find what's wrong with the world. The Bible doesn't say shine a light to find what's wrong with the world. The Bible says, shine as lights, that they may see your good works and glorify God which is in heaven. See the difference? Now, yes, when you shine a light, the world around us will run a scurry like roach. Absolutely. They'll get mad at the light. Absolutely. I remember when I was in Saybrook, Connecticut. Um, some friends of ours—they were from Saybrook—and their his stepdad was dying, and um, we went over there just to kind of stop by and visit the family and be an encouragement to him. It's about a three-hour drive from our house. While we were there, we went by the old Saybrook lighthouse, and you go there, and right there in the middle, right there by the town, right there by the Dairy Queen, there's a T-shirt shop, and there is where Helen—um—not Helen Keller, um. She's a movie star, Elizabeth Taylor. There you go, Elizabeth Taylor was, and and there was like, no, not Catherine Hepburn. That's the lady's name, and it was like right where she lived, and we were there in Old Saybrook, and there's a lighthouse. It was all graffitied. It was all the windows were busted out of it, and I'm like, how can this be a lighthouse to the ships coming up the river? How can it be a lighthouse to anything? The windows are busted out of it. And then I drove down this, this pier. And at the end of the pier was another lighthouse, over like, literally on top of rocks. Like rocks, 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 rocks. And then like an inlay. And then all the way back there, the inlet, all the way back there was this lighthouse. You couldn't get to it by foot very easily. It was all by itself. But that thing, that light shone the Bible tells us to be in the world. The Bible tells us, I'm saying this in phrase, okay, paraphrase. And it's a common phrase, right? We're supposed to be in the world but not out of the world, right? We're supposed to be out from the world and be separate. Come out, you know, come out from among them and be separate, say the Lord. And you go to this lighthouse and that's the light that shone. That's the light that sounded off the alarm. That's the lighthouse. And people didn't like it because it shone the light too brightly at night. They don't like that light. And they, they wanted it so far off the alleyway, but you find a guy coming out there. Maybe his boat was off. Maybe his boat was lost GPS, and he was trying to on a dark and stormy night, trying to find his way to the harbor or trying to find his way to the pier. Oh, I bet you he was excited to see that light. But the world around it, they did not like it. They throw rocks. They they busted up the windows. They graffitied. They they don't like the idea of light being shown because men love darkness rather than light. But yet God tells us. How we're supposed to be in a crooked and perverse generation. Our command is to stand apart from the world and to be distinct. That's what God tells us that we're supposed to come apart from the world and be distinct. We're not supposed to follow the patterns of the world. We're not supposed to be like the world. I remember growing up I remember growing up, it was like this it was like everybody wanted to have their own identity. And as a middle kid, I understand completely how it is to have a middle that want to have their own identity. How many here are middle kids? Raise your hand. You know what I mean by having your own identity? Like, got the big brother, big sister. Get the baby brother, baby sister. And then there's you. And you're literally the one that forget. I was listening to this comedian this past week, Christian comedian, and he was saying that there's times where he would like go to a store and he realized he's got like three kids, and he's like, the mom would have one kid, he would have the other, you know, and then the middle kid would just kind of be left by himself. And then they're saying, okay, well, you know, if the, the, the parent would kind of get upset and say, "Hey, I'm you know, you kids don't act up. I'm shipping one of you off." And the the you know, there's the the oldest kid is always the favorite, and the little kid is a baby of the family, and the middle kid is like, I have to be good because I'm the <laughs> one being shipped off. And it was like so much like this. He was joking about that, but the middle kids are always trying to find themselves, their identity. They're always trying to find and make themselves out. That's usually whether the middle kid is usually doing something stupid. Because he's trying to find his own identity. He's crying out for attention. Um, studies have shown this. I've asked three people and they are all agreeing with me. <laughs> but um, I remember when I was younger, my, 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 my sister was my mom's favorite, no doubt about it. But also Andrew, my baby brother, was also my mom's favorite because he was the baby of the family. And Joseph was just kind of okay to go along. But me and Joseph, we had to fight for all the attention. We had to fight for everything we had. It was like... You know, middle kids never feel like they got the attention, right? But I remember this one time, um, we lived across, we lived by this this field, and they had a, a carnival type thing come in. And the, after this, after the adult softball, they had like, you know, slow pitch softball for the adults, and we used to go over there and keep score, and put up the scoreboard and sh- shag foul balls. It was great fun. They had this carnival going on, and they had the rock band corn playing and singing the music. Now, I don't know anything about who that is. I, just, I don't know who they are, but I was up there and I remember being out there and I went up and they had a fast pitch softball game going on, which is different than slow pitch. And one of the balls got hit behind the behind the backstop and went up on the hill, which was pretty steep. It was pretty, pretty steep incline. And I went up to get that ball and I slipped and fell. And I was so embarrassed that I slipped and fell because it was like super wet dew and everything and I was so embarrassed that I fell and I was covered soaked it was like so wet the hill was so wet from the dew and I was so embarrassed and instead of getting up and just sucking it up and going about my merry way I concocted a lie as to why I was covered from head to toe all sopping wet First of all, I wasn't supposed to be out there at night. I was supposed to be home. I disobeyed my mom. And I was up there doing, I wasn't supposed to be there alone because of the rock band and all the crowd. I was supposed to be with, the, you know, family members or my, you know, two, at least one of my brothers was supposed to be with me. And he went back home and I didn't want to go. So I was already disobedient. I concocted a lie because I wanted attention and it went to such a lie where i accused three people fictitious people of beating me up <laughs> they called an ambulance because of the extent of my story they brought me to the er running all sorts of things running up a huge no running up tests and stuff like that my dad comes home after work. He's worked 16 hours. He's dead tired. He comes to the hospital to pick me up. He's dead tired. He's, he's scared out of his wits because he thought I got beat up, whatever. And, and the doctor knew that I was lying. <laughs> my parents knew that I was lying. But I was trying to create my identity so bad that I violated everything that pleased my parents. I violated everything that I knew to be right and true. And I made up lies just because I didn't like who I, I didn't like the fact that I wasn't getting enough attention or what I thought was enough attention. The doctor, the nurses, the paramedics, everybody was getting attention now, and I felt guilty about it. But it was so deep, I couldn't get rid of this. The doctor gave me a foam neck brace, and I had to wear this foam neck brace, because of the extent of my story, I had to wear this foam neck brace for like, I don't know, three, four days. And it was uncomfortable. It was a stiff neck brace. It was like a dog wearing a collar thing, you know? I'm a bad dog. But it's like, and it's just, there I was. And I'm walking around, and they called me a rubberneck. And making fun of me. And I remember getting in the car and driving home. And we passed the ambulance. I remember the the ambulance number. And I passed the ambulance number that had just taken me to the hospital. They had just got on scene, and there was a major bad wreck. And I drove by and I saw the guy, saw the paramedics that get me to the hospital with my fake story because I wanted attention. And I told lies. And the person in the car had a major car wreck. And my dad said, oh, I think they died. Now remember my dad knew that I lied. My dad knew that I was making up (laughs) stories. So now he's heaping on guilt on top of me. And it tore me up. The next day I went up to get out, you know, went up and I went outside to play and my dad said, oh no, no, you've got bad injuries. Put your neck brace on and go back and sit down. You can't go outside and play. You're too fragile. And my mom and dad did this to me for about three or four days until I came clean. And tears. Because I lied. Not just because I lied, but because I was such an attention... Don't use that word, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. So, But because I was so intentionally because I was so attention-driven and trying to get this attention and trying to change my identity, I violated so many things that was right. And I did so many things that were wrong. When a person, when a Christian, violates their identity of who they are in Christ to seek the approval or the acceptance of the world, you make up stories. You put on a thick you get you get stuck with a neck brace, guilt comes upon you, attention that was supposed to meant to other people gets placed on you. And at the end of the day, you really didn't really need all that attention over a stuffed out or over a slight problem you had in your life. But because we're so attention to changing our identity and to having an identity that's pleasing to man instead of being pleased with the identity that we have in Christ. We don't shine as lights in the crooked and lights in the crooked, and perverse generation. Make sense? That's the only illustration I can really tie it together with. But don't change who we are in Christ, and don't cheapen what we are in Christ. Don't sell the girls are learning this in school, this, you know, for home, for Bible class. Don't sell your birthright for a bowl of beans, for pottage, for porridge. Don't sell what God has for you for what the world has to offer. Don't do it. What we have in Christ is so far more than the things of this world. Don't give it up. Don't change it out. Let's go and ask God's blessing on our service this morning, and on the word preached, and we'll close in a song. Um, Brother Eka, if you would, close us in prayer. Uh, to uh, and yeah, uh, and the, and and, uh, uh, so the, food, the also pray for the rest of the daily So, uh, also heard the third all the other curriculums also i the the the